praying for him as he prepares to come. He's going to read and holler next week. Read a little bit, holler at y'all, read a little bit, holler at y'all. Um, but we're going to have our concert of prayer at the end of the year. We want to, we always want to have a time, either the first or the end of the year, where we spend a significant amount of time just as a church praying. Uh, Jesus said one of the things he intended his church to be was a house of prayer. And an obvious reality is if the church is going to be a house of prayer, something we have to do is pray. And, and not just pray at our homes apart, but pray when we get together. Uh, when you look through the book of Acts, you repeatedly find the church kind of just coming together and praying. Right? They, in the first part in Acts chapter 1, they, they prayed to find out who should replace Judas as an apostle. The church was praying in Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Acts chapter 2 tells us the church devoted themselves to prayer. The apostles were headed to the temple to pray when they healed a lame man. And when the religious leaders threatened to tell them that to no longer preach in the name of Jesus, they gathered the church together and prayed. That's just the first four chapters. But over and over again throughout the book of Acts, we find the church gathering to pray. If our church is to be a house of prayers, Jesus intends then periodically we have to, to make a point to gather to pray. We, since 2017, we have usually dedicated the first Wednesday of the month as a time to gather for the express purpose of praying. Uh, each prayer service is a bit different. Our prayer focus shifts. The format is a little bit different each time. Then in 2018, we moved the very first one, this one, the concert of prayer, to a, to a Sunday morning. We're going to continue this out. Uh, this is an important time. It's an important service for us to be a part of, spend time praying. Now, one of the best books I've ever read on prayer had a, a format to help you to pray, to help you to remember to pray all the things you needed to pray. And the format was the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. So for our service today, we're going to pray through the ACTS acronym. I'll talk briefly about each part of the acronym. Adoration is first. We'll have a time for some word of the Bible to show what the Bible says about that. Uh, then we'll pray either together or we'll pray separately on our own. And then after that, we'll have a song that will go along with what we just looked at. The whole service today is based upon prayer and worship. The very first one is adoration. Adoration is an attitude of worship characterized by love and reverence towards God. But adoration is characterized in this passage. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make His deeds known among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wonders. Boast in His holy name. May the heart of those who seek the Lord be joyful. Uh, this is adoration. This is praising God in prayer. When we worship and praise God in prayer, we are recognizing that He and He alone is worthy of our worship. And as we look in God's word, it gives us several reasons of why God is worthy of our worship. One is God loves us. One of the more unfortunate truths in our world is the idea that God loves us has become a cliche. It's unfortunate because this is really a life changing truth if we really get a hold of it. And it would shape how we live our lives and it should motivate us to passionately worship the Lord. The psalmist captures it when he says, praise the Lord. All you nations, praise Him, all you people of the earth, for He loves us with an unfailing love, with the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we, we sing a song called The Wonder of It All. And the chorus says, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. 
Honestly, if we really understand the greatness, the power, the majesty of God, the God who spoke the world into existence, the God that we have really, if we think about it, we have rebelled against. We have shaken our fist against this God. We have said, we'll not do what you want us to do. And yet, rather than looking upon us with a desire to smite us, he looks upon us with love. And he, he calls us to him with an unfailing love. The love of the Lord never ceases. We, if we just thought, understood the idea of God's great love for us, we would never cease to praise the Lord. We would never run out of reasons to praise the Lord. Another reason to praise the Lord, to adore him, is that God forgives us. Scripture teaches us we've all sinned. And sin is ultimately against God. And all sin earns the wage of death. Again, if we thought about that, that's a terrifying thought. You and I have all sinned. But it wasn't just a sin against a person. We sinned against an almighty God, the sovereign God, the the God who spoke the world into existence. And that sin has earned a wage, and that wage is death. Think about it. Being accountable to the holy and just God because we have sinned against Him. What a terrifying thought that would be if there was no mercy, if there was no grace. The Lord. Thankfully, we serve a God who is only more, not only willing to forgive, but is eager to forgive. The psalmist says, how blessed is he whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, this passage is not specifically called upon us to worship the Lord. It is a, a psalm of praise written in response to forgiveness. Probably most of us are familiar with King David. David is famous for basically two things in particular that most people know about. David fought Goliath. David sinned with Bathsheba. After David's sin with Bathsheba, he was brought to a place of repentance of the prophet Nathan. And when he was brought to repentance, he wrote two psalms of repentance and praise. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And what David says throughout both essentially is... Man, when we think about the fact God has forgiven us, despite the fact we have sinned against Him, we should praise Him. Even more so in our day. David's day did not know the fullness of what the Messiah would do. We live after the cross. The forgiveness we experience was purchased by Jesus on the cross. We are forgiven because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Our sin to earn the wage. Somebody paid the penalty for our sins. Somebody died that we might live. And that was Jesus. And as we think about the fact that the the Savior of the world, He came and He lived and He was perfect in all that He did, and yet He died for me and He died for you. If we understand that, how could we not spend significant time every day of our lives praising Him? Another reason we praise the Lord is because God is with us. One of the great promises... God has given to us as He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is always with us. One psalm describes it this way. I will bless the Lord who has advised me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because He is at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also 
will dwell securely. One of the great promises of God's word is God is always with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. I was reading just the other day in my psalm reading. And here's what the psalmist says here about this. Where can I go? Oh, I'm sorry. You have encircled me behind and in front. You have placed your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot comprehend it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, behold, you're there. If I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. The overwhelming thought that God does not leave us, does not forsake us. And here's part of what's great about this is this, these passages aren't merely given in the fact that, well, I love Jesus and I'm devoted to Jesus. And everywhere I go, Jesus goes with me. The psalmist that I just read, he's fleeing. And he says, even if I flee from you, you go with me there. No matter where we go in life, no matter what we do, God is always there working to bring us closer to him. If we are living in a state of rebellion, God isn't standing off going, well, have it your way then. Do what you want. See how that works out. Even in the rebellion, he's there saying, turn back to me. Come on, this path of life is going to end in destruction. Come to me. Come on, turn and go back my ways. He, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is always with us. And when we know that the great God is always with us, then we, can, we should worship the Lord. And then the last one is the Lord is good to us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, my soul, and do not forget any of His benefits. Who pardons all of your guilt. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with favor and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your mouth or your youth is renewed like the eagles. We could spend a great deal of time talking about all the good things God has done for us in our lives. There are general good things that God does as the giver of all good gifts that we have experienced. There are particular things. right? God isn't just good and it settles upon the world and we get the overflow of God's goodness. It is that. But then God has come to each of us in various ways and been good to us as individual people. He's been good to us as families. He's been good to us with our children, with our grandchildren. God has intentionally worked in our lives and been good to us for no other reason than the fact He's good. I mean, you think about it. We, we have sinned. We go back to that. Our sin keeps God from ever being in our debt. We have not earned the least of God's goodness in our lives. Rather, every good gift we have is just a gift of the mercy and the grace and the sheer goodness of our God. And we should recognize that. And we should praise Him for that. So I, I want to do is I want to give an opportunity. If anyone wants to stand and give a testimony, something God has done and been good to you, 
this year that you want to stand and declare and tell of what the Lord has done? And I'll go first since you're all thinking about exactly. You've got so many good things. You're wondering, I want to, don't want to cut anybody off. The other night we were sitting at home and it was Christmas Adam at 24th, 23rd. Um, and I was sitting in our Christmas room and I had my Kindle and I was reading a book and I had the lights off and there's no lights except for the Christmas tree. And I was just thinking how good my life is right now. I mean, when I, when I joined the army and I left Oklahoma, I told my parents I would never live in Oklahoma again. I was never coming home. They would be lucky if I came back to visit. It was a year and a half before I came back even to visit. I I had no intention. My life was planned. I was going to do my 20 plus years in the army. I was going to retire. I was going to move to a Caribbean island. And I was going to live in a one room shack. And I was going to let my army retirement check come in. And I was going to live off the meager things that I could afford with that. But that's all I was going to do. I mean, I had no nothing beyond that. That was that was I mean, it was planned out. I had I knew what I was going to do. And that if God had answered all my prayers and done exactly what I wanted, that's what I would be right now. But what God has done for me in in my family, which I never intended to have in in the pastorate, which I never thought I would be doing. is so much better than anything Not only that I could expect, but my plans, as good as I thought my plans were. And when I was first in the army, I mean, I thought often about what it was going to be like when I retired and how I was going to live. And those dreams do not compare to the good life the Lord has given me. His plans have been so much better than my plans would have been. Does anybody else want to share something God has done to be good to them in their life? Anyone else before we pray?
no God loves us. And you know, the life that we were raised in was different. John, I thank God gave me my wife, John. I don't know what he did to me. But... <laughs> <laughs> he knew what I needed in my life. And God does love us, as you said. And his heart's desire is that we'll come to him. He has no pleasure in the loss of sinners. No his desire is that we all will come to him and be saved. And he knows what we need. And I'm going to tell you a, a real simple thing that happened this morning. Some of you might not believe this, but I do. I'm getting ready to go see the doctor. It's scheduled for tomorrow, Monday. And so I always check my blood pressure because that's something they do. And one time I did do this and it was high and they come in to me and said, you need to get to a heart doctor. So I've always sit down and check it. And, and last night I was checking it and it was really high. I'm not going to tell you how high because it's scary. It was high. And so Joan sits down with me and starts reading. She said, well, right now you've been having this cold and you're taking antibiotics. And it says antibiotics can yeah. also cause it to be higher. And your your nerves and, and what we, you know, we I'm, I'm sitting down worried about it right off. And those things can affect blood pressure. And so I went on to bed. This morning I got up, hadn't eaten. And it said things like that, eating and then taking it's not a good thing to do. So I hadn't eaten and I do this and I'm sitting down. Well, it's not as high as it was last night, but it's still high. And I take it several times. And so finally, I, I, you know, in my mind, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm there, I'm going to take it one more and I'm going to stop. But please let it be low. And I felt like it was going to be the same. But I looked down and it was, and it's still high, but it was 140. And, and as we get older, your blood pressure goes up. And so I, I felt God, God did that for me. He knew what I was wanting. And God does bless us. And matter of fact, I think we take many blessings for granted. Amen. You know, the air we breathe. And, and I tell God sometimes, forgive me for taking for granted your blessings to us because he does bless us. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's wonderful to us. Yeah. Anyone else? I'm thankful that God hears every single prayer because kids are praying for her and here she's testifying to. <laughs> he is great. I'm not going to stand up, but I, I will share an experience that Jackie and I had a couple of weeks ago on a Friday. If you think God is not actively working in your life, <laughs> we are here to tell you that, yes. We were coming back from a football game over at Alva. My grandson was playing, and we got out by the log cabin corner, and it's 1130 at night. There's no other vehicles except for a semi that we saw stop at the stop sign. And normally I don't do this, but for... It's a God thing, too. I The speed limit through there is 70. It drops down to 65. So I thought, what the heck? I dropped down to the 65, which goes against my grain. I'm a speed demon, and I, you know. But anyway, I did it. And we watched the semi stop. 
and then he pulled directly in front of us at 65 miles an hour. We have an SUV, then it's got a short chassis on it. God had to completely take over the vehicle because I hit my brake and I spun to the left and there was a, a yield sign and a stop sign that goes on to Shattuck. And my car, it spun around really hard and I know God kept it from rolling. All it did was clip the passenger side mirror on my car. So when I got turned around, and the semi took off, when he seen us get out to check the damage, he, he left. I didn't have time to grab my phone and get a plate number or nothing, which is fine because it wouldn't have been pretty. But anyway, I, when I turned around, I just looked up because there's no human way at 65 miles an hour, as close as that semi was to us, for us to miss it. We would have T-boned the trailer, the cattle cart on the trailer. And we wouldn't be here. So I just looked at, when we got turned around and started on, I just looked over at Jackie and I said, God is not done with us yet. It's the little things that we take for granted that God does for us on a daily basis. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Can we test my twice? Sure. <laughs> Usually that doesn't happen, you know, but uh, I got to thank you. God blessed us, our church, so much when he sent you, your wife and family to our church. It's been such a blessing and it's something our church needs and still needs. And I remember when we called you, that our church voted and, and told me, Call Stacy and I went home. Thought, well, I'll call him this afternoon or something. And I didn't call you immediately, but when I called you, you let us know later that you're sitting there waiting to hear from us. And I, I should have called immediately, but I just waited. Yeah, we didn't even go eat lunch. We just went home and sat by the phone all afternoon to like four o'clock in the evening. I'm sitting there saying, "Well, I'll call him this afternoon," but uh, I should have called sooner. But. We thank you for you and your I told Kelly, I said, I guess if they said no, surely they'll call and tell us no and not just leave us wondering forever, will they? And here you are in Oklahoma for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, the blessing this year for us was that the fires that happened the other day that did not burn my niece Margie or my nephew Joe Paul's house. They came right up to it, but it was almost like God just said nope. You're going around this because it went around their houses, and that was a real blessing. Pastor Stacy, I prayed for 16 years for my son. He didn't talk to us, didn't have anything to do with us. And my son lives next door to us now. And I thank God every time we walk through the door and we get to see him. I have something that I'm actually thrilled with that I'm not sure anybody notices, but Brody is now entering a mission field. Sarah is wanting to get out there and do the same. We pray all the time for God to send uh, people from our church out, and he is. And this just, it's something I hold very close to my heart. And that's that's all I have to say about it. But I really am pleased that he answers the little prayers, even if we don't know this. One of the biggest blessings we've received this year is Lizzie is able to communicate. And I 
know the ladies who come to the Monday prayer, that we pray a lot for Lizzie's seizures and her ability to communicate. And the sass is strong with that one. She has found a way she communicates when she's mad, when she doesn't like this, when you're too loud. She really likes it when we watch on Wednesday night and, and Scott is singing and the ladies are playing. And then as soon as Stacy gets up, she'd go, <laughs> Everybody else does that too. <laughs> but she has really been able to communicate, and, and like Ella said, there is no, there's no medicine, there's no machine, there's no therapy, there is absolutely nothing man-made on this earth that can cause Elizabeth to communicate like she is with us. So it is, it is by His mercy that she's allowing us to know how she feels. So I thank God for that. Any others before we pray and sing a song of praise? Brody, would you lead us in prayer? Yep. Heavenly <laughs> Father, Lord, we thank you and we love you. We thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your mercy you've had on our lives, God. Lord, we thank you for all the testimonies that we just heard today. God, Lord, I pray that you pour your spirit upon us, God, that you just guide and direct our footsteps, Lord, as we go through the rest of our day, that we can be the light in the dark world. We thank you for this church, God. We thank you for Pastor Stacy and his family. Lord, I pray many blessings over them and this church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's turn to page three, and we'll see the uh, we'll see the first and last verse. Page three. Part of the Acts acronym is confession or repentance. Confessing is admitting our sin and failures to God. In the New Testament, the Greek word translated as confession comes from a Greek verb meaning to say the same thing or to be of the same mind. This means to confess our sins to God. We must say the same thing about our sins God says about our sins. And if we think about that, we have to confess our sins to the Lord, say what God says. It means that there are at least a few things we have to say. Number one, what God says about our sin and what we must say about our sin is 
My sin is my fault. Right? Our culture is a culture of blame. Nothing is ever our fault. I'm not accountable. Uh, it's not fair if you hold me accountable. God is not a part of that culture. God very much holds us accountable for our sin. So if I am going to confess my sin to the Lord, the very first thing I have to say is it's my fault. I did it no matter what else. Second thing God says about our sin that we must say is our sin is serious and it was committed against him. This means when we confess our sin, we can't say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal and he made me do it and, and nobody really was hurt. Those things don't matter. Ultimately, we sin against people at times, but our sin against people isn't ultimate. It's our sin against God that's ultimate. That's what makes our sin so serious. If all we did was sin against other humans, it wouldn't be nearly as serious as it is. But all sin is against God. God is the lawgiver. He has given the law. He has set the boundaries for what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable and what's not. And so when we do what God has said not to do, we are, in essence, shaking our fists at God. So if I'm going to confess my sin, I have to say my sin is serious. And I have to say my sin was against God. And so these, this is the way we have to go to God when we confess our sin. Lord, my sin is my fault. Lord, my sin is serious. Lord, my sin was committed against you. We think about sin. There are two broad categories of sin. Sins of commission. This is what we are most familiar with. This is knowingly and willingly violating God's word. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. In essence, sins of commission. If God says thou shalt not and we say, oh, yes, I shall. That's a sin of commission. Then there are also sins of omission. Now, this is something we don't think about as much, but we should. Sins of omission are not doing what we know God wants us to do. Right. So James says the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. Right. So sin. If God says, do not do it and I do it anyway, that's a sin. If God says, do it and I say, I don't want to do it. That also is a sin. Sins of commission, sins of omission. Genuine confession involves repentance. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. Now, the change of life is an essential part of it. All throughout God's word, we're told to produce fruit consistent with repentance. Right. And so essentially, it's that change of mind that changes how we act. If I walk up to Brody and I punch him in the mouth and say, I'm sorry. And he says, OK, I forgive you. I won't do it again. And then I turn and punch him again. How many times am I punching Brody in the mouth before essentially my, my I'm sorry is worthless? Not many. Right. I mean, one or two. And we're pretty well done. Right? And, and it's the same way with God. God, I'm sorry. And then we go right back to it. God, I'm sorry. And I go right back to it. What God calls us to do in repentance is don't don't say you're sorry. Don't cry these great big tears and oh this big weepy testimony. That, that may be real and it may be a part that sorrow is a part of. It. We'll talk about that in a second. But if all of that doesn't produce a change, it's not legit. Repentance, genuine repentance bears fruit. That is consistent with the fact I'm sorry I've sinned. So repentance does have sorrow attached to it. right? And there is a, a worldly sorrow that produces death and a sorrow according to the will of God that, that leads to repentance. And the best way I can think of it, I can explain it is the worldly sorrow is being sorry we got caught. right? Sorry 
people are going to find out what I've done. Sorry, there's going to be consequences for my sins. Sorry, I'm going to be embarrassed that people now know. Sorry that my life is going to be difficult because of what I've done. That's not real repentance. That's, that's the worldly repentance. Repentance is, I'm sorry I've sinned against God. There's a God who loves me. A God who sent His Son for me. A God who created me and has done good things for me. And I went against what He wanted me to do. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry whether anyone ever finds out or not. I'm sorry whether there are ever any consequences in my life or not. I'm sorry because I love God. God loves me. And I have sinned against Him. Now God has given a promise associated with confession. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous so He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives, absolutely. And, and, and I love this, right? Because notice there's no number attached to it. God is faithful and righteous to forgive us 30 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. There's no limit. If we confess our sin, God will always forgive us. And I think, I think for many of us this can be difficult. Because we wouldn't do that, right? I mean, maybe you're far more gracious than I am, right? But I'm a Ross Doolin and forgiveness doesn't come easy in my family. And so there's a point. It's like you've done it and you've done it and you've done it. And if I'm not careful, it can be you're dead to me. I mean, I'm just I'm done with you forever. Now, that's the way I, I can be. One of the big problems with that is I can begin to view God like that too. That the devil can take my natural tendency to be unforgiving and he can say, well, you wouldn't forgive you. Why would God forgive you? You're right. I wouldn't forgive me. I'm the worst. Gosh, I'm, I'm just giving up. But see, that's not the voice of the Spirit. That's not the voice of the Word. That's not the voice of the Lord. If we confess... He always forgives. Whether we would forgive or not, whether anyone else would forgive or not, the Lord will. So what we want to do now is take time, pray a prayer of confession. And as we pray a prayer of confession, part of what we want to pray is this prayer from Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. We want to to pray, God, search me. Is there anything in my life that's not what you want? If there is, you show me what it is. I'll repent. I'll confess. And I want to go the way you want me to go. So I ask all that would to come to the altar to pray or pray where you are. We just want to spend this time praying in confession. And when we're through, we'll move on.
The next part of the ACTS acronym is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is simply giving thanks to God for all he has done in our lives. God's word has a lot to say about Thanksgiving and being thankful that your lives overflow with Thanksgiving for what God has done in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. These are familiar statements, big statements if you really think about it though. Life overflow with Thanksgiving and then in everything, everything. I mean that's that's a lot, right? In everything, give thanks. And this is God's will. So we seek, well, I want to know what God's will is. Well, one thing that is always God's will is for us to give thanks. Now, in, in times where our life is as it should be, this is easy enough to do. But what about when things are bad? What about when tragedy has struck our family? What about when there's a sudden death? What about yesterday was Christmas? Family, friend of my fa- uh, a friend of mine, his father-in-law passed away yesterday, or passed away this morning, I'm sorry. And so they've spent all Christmas week with him being sick. How, do they, how are they thankful Today, the day after Christmas, their kids are now grandfatherless. How do we give thanks in situations like that when the circumstances of our life are bad? I think we do that by by being careful about what the Word says. We're not told to give thanks for everything. Because everything's not good. The Bible's not unrealistic. Bad things happen. And the bad things that happen, they're legitimately bad. And there are some things that are so bad that we can't say, well, I am thankful this happened to me. I'm thankful this is going on in my life. I'm thankful my loved one has passed away. I, I mean, we, it, it's, we can't. But that's not what it says to do, is it? One, let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all God has done and in everything. So in the midst of even bad circumstances, we can be thankful if we think about it in light of all God has done. And, and this is kind of how you have to do it. If if our gratitude is based upon circumstances of this life, overflowing with thanksgiving is going to be difficult. In all things is going to be difficult. But if my gratitude, if my thanksgiving is based upon what God has done, then no matter what is going on, I can be thankful. Maybe not for the circumstance, maybe not for the issue, but even in the midst I can be thankful. And I've always said, think of it in three tenses, past, present, and future. Right? In the past, Jesus died for us. God has done that for us. Right? That's, that's unchanging. Right? Regardless of how bad anything might be right now, Jesus died for me. And if nothing else, I can't think of anything else in the world that happened in the past that was good. I can be thankful for that regardless of the circumstances. If I've repented of my sins and I've believed in Jesus... Jesus saved me in the past. And the present circumstances can't undo what God has done in the past. So I can be thankful. If nothing else, as a, as a disciple of Jesus, I can be thankful. Jesus died for me. Jesus redeemed me. So in all things, my life can overflow with thanksgiving because of what He has done in the past. In the future, well, in the future, there's all sorts of promises about heaven about a place where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more parting, there's no more tears. So we can look at all of the the hard in this life and we can say it's temporary. It's going to pass. The day will come when all of these things are going to go away and I will be with Jesus and I won't have this sort of pain and this sort of heartache and I can be thankful. Thank you, Lord, for what is coming. Right now is hard. There's a better day coming. Thank you, Lord, for that. And if I look forward to that, then my life can overflow with thanksgiving and all things for what He's going to do. The hardest one, though, is the present. 
Because if you're like me, when the present is hard, all we can see is the hard. All we can see is the hard of the moment. But if we have eyes and if we have ears and if we pay careful attention, we can see something God is doing with us in the present, regardless of the circumstances. He's with us. We've talked about that. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. So he's there with us in the midst of the suffering. And if we look, there are no telling how many other things that he, we can say he's doing at that moment. He's sustaining us. He's strengthening us. He's sending people into our lives to comfort us, to help us. He's got people praying for us. I mean, there, there's literally no telling how many things that God is doing in our lives that we just can't see. But if we can see and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that they're praying for me right now. Thank you, Lord, that you, even though life is hard, even though I'm struggling, I know you're with me. Thank you for that. I mean, we can be thankful. Our lives can overflow with thanksgiving in all things because of what God has done. And, and again, one of the ways we can do this is just to realize anything good we have in our life is a gift from God. Are you healthy? That's God's gift. Do you have the ability that you can do things to make money, provide for your family? Old Testament tells us that God gives us the ability to acquire wealth. Right? Do you have the ability to think? Do you have a family that loves you? Do you have a church? Do you have a support system? Do you have anything good in your life? Well, anything good in your life is a gift from God. that has been given to us as just sheer mercy and sure goodness. And so we can always, again, even in the worst of circumstances, we can look around and say, this is good, this is good, this is good. And we're not thankful for the circumstances. But we can overflow with thanksgiving even in the middle of the circumstances because of what God has done. So we're going to have a time to have a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, Jane, would you lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving?
last part of the acronym is supplication. Supplication is just asking someone to give you, to do something for you. In this case, the someone is God. Uh, truth to remember about taking our needs to God, praying and asking God to do things in us, through us and for us, is this is what God wants us to do. This was all God's idea. Man did not come up with the idea of going to God and asking Him to do things. This was from God. Turn to Matthew 7. Um, page 738, if you have a pew Bible, look at that. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. What person is there among you who when a son asks for a loaf of bread, he gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This passage gives us several ways we should pray as we seek to pray to ask God to do things in us, through us, and for us. One, pray actively. Ask, seek, and knock are action words. Prayer no matter what maybe the world would try to have us believe, is not a passive experience. It is something we are actively doing. We are seeking the Lord for something only He can do. And to me, I think the, this passage, I think it gives a, a progression of from the least active to the most active. Ask, then you're looking, then you're knocking. To me, this is an intensity, an increasing intensity based upon the desire I want it, so I ask, but the ask didn't give, so I'm going to seek. The seek didn't yield the results, so I'm going to knock. I'm just going to keep going and going and going. But the issue Jesus seems to be talking about is an increasing of intensity. That we, we don't pray half-heartedly and expect God to move heaven and earth on our behalf. That if we truly need God to do something in us, through us, or for us, we must pray. We must be very, very active. We must also pray persistently. Now, depending on what translation you have, the idea of praying persistently may not be immediately evident. But if you're using a New Living Translation, it says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's because ask, seek, and knock in the Greek are the continuing tense verbs, saying that it's not just we ask once, we seek once, we knock once, we, we ask and keep on asking until we get the answer. We seek and keep on seeking until we find what we need. We knock and keep on knocking until the door is open. It is a, a picture of persistence in prayer. We pray and we pray and we pray until God answers. We also pray expectantly. Notice how many times it says it will. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Everyone who asks to receive. And the implication is everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. These are statements of certainty. God certainly answers our prayer. God promises. If we pray actively and persistently, He will answer. This is a tremendous promise from Jesus. Pray expectant. He will answer. And then pray confidently. I love the last part. We're praying to our Heavenly Father for Him to do these things in us, through us, and for us. And then He turns it around and says about a human father. you got a kid. If your kid asks you for something they need for life, are you going to ignore them? Or are you going to give them something dangerous that will destroy them? Well, well, of course 
you won't. And if you, as a fallen, sinful, flawed human, if you won't do that to your children, how much less will your father do that for your? Or, to put it in the more positive, if you will give good to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give to us? We can always expect and be confident our heavenly father will act In our best interest. He will always respond. Always answer. In the way that he knows is best. Now the the idea of him knowing what's best though. This is where it gets sticky. Because this isn't a promise that everything I pray. God's going to do exactly the way I pray it. In some ways I wish it was. That would be nice. If you just pray long enough. And you pray hard enough. You pray persistently enough. God's always going to do exactly what you're asking. But. The Bible bears out that's not the reality. And and life bears out that's not the reality. But that doesn't mean God doesn't answer. God always answers our prayer. He answers with yes, and He does exactly what we ask Him to do. He answers with not right now, and He makes us wait a little while before He does what needs to be done. And then, sometimes, God says no. And no is a legitimate answer. And we say, well, that's a, that sounds like a cop-out. God's saying no is a cop-out. Well, let me ask you this. Is there anyone in your life who always says yes to everything you ask them to do, no matter what it is, they're always going to say yes. They've always said yes. No. Probably not. I, I doubt. And if there are people in our lives who say no to us, we ask them to do something, and they say no Do we immediately hate them? Do we despise them? Do we say they don't care? They're not really our friends? Do we turn away and walk away from them? No, not unless we live alone in a a cave on the hill. If you live around people, you live with people who tell you no at times. So the question I want to ask is, why can people say no to me, but God not say no to me? Why, Why can I accept a no from Brody, but not accept a no from God? Why can I accept no from my wife, but not accept no from God? If God is infinitely powerful and infinitely wonderful and omniscient, knows all things about all things, and He, in His wisdom and knowledge, says no to me, why is that not okay? Why can my loving Father, who loves me better than anyone else and loves me perfectly, why is He not allowed to say no? Well... Ultimately, it's a problem with us and not with God. God's knows are legitimate answers and I think in many cases they're the best answer. I can think over my life, things I prayed actively, persistently, expectantly and confidently. And God said no to. At the time it was devastating. I told you when I joined the army, I was not coming back. I, at one point, I had an opportunity to go to ranger school, which was where I was headed in life. I wanted to be in the ranger battalions. And on the day I was supposed to go take a physical that would allow me to go, my platoon sergeant sent me to do something stupid instead. And he told me, you're not going to get to go take your physical. You're going to miss your ranger slot. None of that stuff's going to happen right now. You're going to have to do all these other things. And it's going to take me years to get another slot. And I prayed, man, I prayed as hard, as active, as persistent, as expectantly as I knew how to pray for God to change Sergeant Keeler's mind. 
And he didn't. And I didn't get to go to ranger school. And that led to a series of circumstances that resulted in me getting out of the army. And being out of the army at first was distressing. I had no idea what to do with my life. Since I was five, I wanted to be an army ranger. What do you do when you're 23 years old, 24 years old, and you have no drive, no ambition? You don't know what to do. Everything you've ever wanted to be, you've left behind now. Well, what you do is you get discouraged. And you think, maybe the army wasn't so bad after all. I I got a little hasty. And you go to re-enlist. But before you do, some pretty girl comes to your church. And you think, wait a second. I don't know. Maybe the army's not the best place to go right now. And that girl turns out to be someone you marry. And you have kids with. And it leads to a situation in which you're living a life far better than you ever could have imagined otherwise. If God had changed Sergeant Keeler's mind, my life would not be this. I would not have my wife, my children. I would not be a pastor. I would not be here with you wonderful people. So much of my life would be missing and wrong had God said yes. But God, in His infinite wisdom and love, said, I've got something better for you. Though it's going to take a couple of years before you're able to see the better. God says no. And that is a legitimate response to it. What I want to do now is I want to to hand out papers. Brody, would you and Connor come help? Make sure everybody gets one. I want to give you three categories to write down. Personal. So these are things, and write down to say two to four on each category. Personal, things you want God to do in you, through you, and for you in 2022. Church, things you want God to do in and through our church, in through and for our church in 2022. Now, if you go to a different church, if this isn't your normal home church, uh, write down what you want God to do in your home church. And then lost or uncommitted. We all have family members, people we love and care about that don't either, they're either lost, they don't know the Lord, or they're not committed to the Lord. And we want to pray for them, for God to draw them to Jesus in 2022. Everyone, Brody. Take just a couple of minutes and fill that out.
Right now what we're going to do is we're going to take time and pray over the list we made. You can pray where you are. Come forward and pray. I pray over them and when we're through, we'll move on. Now, what you do with this is keep it in your prayer journal or somewhere where you can look at it and pray for it regularly.